Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. For those of us who care about liberty in America, and who care about preserving our constitutional republic, we've got to be concerned about the pervasive size and growth of what's come to be called the administrative state. It's the vast apparatus of unelected bureaucrats who run all the federal agencies and whose jobs are protected by the powerful civil service system. Um, they're the bedrock of what's come to be known, of, known as the deep state. Uh, and it, what, what's happened is it, it, it's typically evolved into a fourth branch of the federal government. We have, and it's largely unchecked by Congress, the presidency, and even our judiciary. Uh, and this is a phenomenon that we all need to recognize. We all need to think about lines of action and do something about it if we can. Uh, and for an up-close and personal look at the deep state at work, my friend and recurring guest, uh, returning guest Michael Pack has a very revealing story to tell. Um, as most of you know, he's had an incredible career as a documentary filmmaker. His most recent was uh, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. And among his many other accomplishments, he was also C CEO and president of the Claremont Institute. But what we want to talk about today is his experience as the first Senate-confirmed CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, uh, also known as USAGM. Um, of course, it oversees all the uh, government uh, communications broadcasting networks, including Voice of America. Michael, welcome. Good you to got be a back. story to tell. You wrote about it brilliantly. You wrote a piece uh, called The Death of Democracy, mm. which was a very riveting tale about what happened after you became, uh, actually, even before you became confirmed as the head of the agency. Yes, uh, in the uh, piece in The Examiner in the last week or so. Washington Examiner. The Washington Examiner. Um, and I call it the death of democracy because the, the, this fourth branch of government, which you, so, uh, which you so clearly described, had no intention of following what Donald Trump or any of us, his appointees, wanted to do. They just had no intention. They thought he shouldn't be president. They knew better, and they had no intention of doing what he wanted to do. And that's just not democracy. You know, the American people elect a president, and good or bad, dumb or smart, you know, capable or not capable, he's the president, and the American people have empowered him to do, to fulfill what he said he would do. And there, but the, this, the government bureaucracy had no intention of doing that. So that's not really democracy anymore. I mean, it may be a little overstatement called the death of democracy, because I think we could bring it back, but it's not democracy when the elected president doesn't have a chance to implement his agenda. And my own case is a very small microcosm of that. I mean, we saw it all on a bigger scale with Donald Trump's you know, battles with the FBI and Russia collusion and many other things. But in my own case, as you say, I was, I was, appointed, I was asked by the White House to run this agency by government well, standards. You, you were asked in March of 2017, just after his inauguration. That's right. And it took how long to get confirmed? It took three years and three months to get yeah. confirmed. Yeah. So I didn't walk in until June of 2020. I liked, I think it's close to a record. I mean, four years must be the absolute record, but 
they were the, the Democrats largely were able to block me as well as other people inside the government that didn't think I should you know take this position even though Donald Trump has selected me. So it took a very very long time and it was a, itself a bruising battle. Donald Trump had to personally intervene, which he shouldn't have to do with this level of appointment. So it, you know and 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 they were they the the bureaucracy there had spent those three years and three months preparing to block me. Well, didn't they hold a a, a council of tribal leaders <laughs> right after his inauguration saying we're going to do everything we can to block uh, Donald Trump's uh, agenda? I had been told that that's true and <laughs> it would not be surprising. And this would be before even I was appointed. So, I mean, it has nothing to do really with me personally, and I don't take it personally. Um, so that's right, they're ready to block him. They felt he was gonna, you know, that he just didn't know the right way to deal with the media. He was the wrong person. They needed to stop him. And so they schemed and worked with Democrats on the Hill and, and others in the, you know, in the, inside the White House and other offices to, to block my my nomination. And they did a very good job. I mean, I think they hoped to block it all the way through to the next election, and they came very close. But it didn't, it surely didn't stop once I got there. I mean, every single thing I did, they blocked, and they blocked it overtly. So you walked into the office on what day? Mid-June of 2020. 2020, and what did you find when you got there? Well, I mean, it was the middle of COVID, so I actually, it, it, it hardly was anybody was there. It was deserted. <laughs> That's not so bad. In an agency of 4,000, the only ones working there were the 10 or so I brought in. Okay. But, uh, the, otherwise, the building was largely deserted. I think this actually made it even easier for these people to conspire. They didn't have to confront me. It was hard to have oversight. It was hard to even meet these people. So COVID made it all the harder. But, but I think it would have been hard under any circumstances. I mean, the very first thing I did which the law that created my position explicitly empowered me to do was change the heads of networks, which is a logical thing to do. And there were five. There it. were five networks. Five networks. Voice of America, and then there was what? Uh, Voice of Cuba. America, Cuba Broadcasting, right? Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty, Cuba, um, Middle East Broadcasting Networks, and Radio Free Asia. And and they're one of the biggest media organizations in the world. They reach over 350 million people a week in 70 languages. They have a budget of. $850 million, almost a billion dollars. And for a media organization, it is huge. And it's very, very influential abroad. They're not supposed to broadcast here. So the Democrats had, you know, they've managed to burrow in. They've had it their way for decades. And they had no intention of letting such a huge media operation be return to its actual legal mandate, which is to be fair and balanced. It's supposed to reflect the views of the American people broadly considered, not to be the, the instrumentality of one party or the other. I mean, it's supposed to pro promote American ideals like democracy and freedom around the world. But having had no oversight, more or less, for, many, for a long time, the agency had drifted very far to the left and it was largely a mirror of what was going on in the rest of the sort of left-leaning media from well, like the, CNN. The, or the yeah, we had a we had a Chinese dissident on the show about three years ago, and his interpreter was a very senior official with uh, Radio Free Asia. And mm. I won't name names because 
I guess maybe he's already out of himself, but I don't know. He, he had only terrible stories to tell about what was being broadcast. Indeed. And that if Americans knew what face they were presenting to China, they'd be appalled. That's right. There, there, there are real problems, especially in, <clears throat> in the two Mandarin services. That's Radio Free Asia has one, and the Voice of America has its own Mandarin service. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and, and indeed, the person who I had kind of forced out as head of the Voice of America, Amanda Bennett, who's now Biden's nominee to have my job, you know, famously uh, cut off an interview with a Chinese dissident Quo um, midway uh, in, 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 against the promise, and it was rumored or at least alleged that she did it under pressure from the Chinese government. So the, the, these they, the, it, it was a big scandal. There are people on both sides. It was one of the many scandals under her watch, which is why it's shocking Biden wants to reappoint her. But you know, so when I came, we were in the midst or of not a, so shocking or not so shocking. So we're in the midst of an election, right? So one of the things they have, to, they, and they cover the election as they should, but in keeping with the Voice of America Charter and the law governing all five of them, they were not supposed to be tilted towards one or the other. And pretty early on in my time there, we found an ad, that, that essentially a Biden ad, that appeared in the Urdu service. You know, So this is a service that's supposed to target Pakistan and it seemed to be just a pro-Biden piece, and it seemed to be focused on Americans appealing to them to vote for Biden. And it was a shocking violation of the VOA charter and law. So I, I think it might be worth it for your listeners and viewers to see and hear it. Okay, I think I've got this queued up here. Let me take a look. I will end the Muslim ban on day one. Day one. Hadith from the Prophet Muhammad instructs, Whomever among you sees a wrong, let him change it with his hand. If he is not able, then with his tongue. If he is not able, then with his heart. Make no mistake, people. 2020 is our year. Let's dive into it with 2020 vision. We can see clearly that America is fighting for its very soul. We, we all come from the same root here in terms of our fundamental basic beliefs. And uh, I just want to thank you for, uh, for giving me the opportunity, for being engaged, for committing uh, to action this November. It matters. Your voice, your voice is your vote. Your vote is your voice. Most of Americans' voices matter. I'll be a president who seeks out, listens to, and incorporates the ideas and concerns of Muslim Americans on everyday issues that matter most to our communities. That will include having Muslim American voices as part of my administration. But getting out the vote, getting our families out to vote, getting our elderly out to vote, getting our masjids out to vote, getting our neighborhoods out to vote. So let's do our part and join the largest Muslim voter mobilization in America, the Million Muslim Votes Campaign. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's make our voices heard. Because we got the means, we got the numbers, and we got the power. Oh my. 
this was part of the uh, Voice of America. Uh, and who was this broadcast to? Well, it's supposed to be broadcast to Pakistan, but because it's on the VOA website, you can get it anywhere. And I believe that they were really targeting Muslim American voters. I mean, you can see it has the VOA logo on it at the end. I mean, it's based on a Biden speech and a Biden campaign ad cut together without any context. I mean, it's really, it, I mean, it violates not only the VOA charter, but possibly other laws. Um, a, a real disgrace. And we only found it because a whistleblower called it to our attention. It had already been up for a week. We asked for them to take it down, which I, you know, the VOA leadership, which, which they did. Um, <clears throat> but then we found later there was still an audio version up for another week or so. But, the, but the, you know, egregious as this is, Bill, I mean, what really, I think, tells you a lot about the administrative state is what happened after. So, look, this violates the charter. It violates the law. It's a completely, it's completely wrong in every way. In fact, people at the VOA acknowledged. So we just felt that, and it wasn't the first time this had happened. I mean, they'd done something similar, equally egregious. In the last election, they had run this famous uh, De Niro spot where he called... This is in 2016, where he called President Trump a dog, a pig, I want to punch him in the face, also with no context. And when Republicans complained, they took it down, and that was it. This time I felt we should launch an investigation to find out how this happened and make sure it didn't happen again. After all, the election was ongoing. So I launched an investigation. One of our lawyers working with one of the political lawyers I had hired, you know, one of my political appointees, working with the in-house people to sort of find out who did it and how did it get on the air and how did it, why was it not caught and who approved it and, and what should happen to them? And what, what disciplinary actions? You do something this wrong, there should be some sort of consequences or it will happen again, as was proved by the fact there were no consequences for the De Niro ad and it did happen again. So we did launch an investigation and they, the internal people recommended a series of disciplinary actions, including firing the contractors that are responsible, but also looking into why their supervisor didn't do anything and different levels of... Uh, well, and you of, had that, you had, you had uh, nine people working with you out of a total of 4,000. That's so right. It was, this was a lonely fight. This is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Michael Pack, who's, who was head of the uh, U.S. Agency for Global Media, and we're talking about uh, the fact that many of the people there thought they were in the business of electing Joe Biden president and not representing the United States to the rest of the world. So, yeah. so, 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 so we, we conducted this investigation. We, we performed that we did as largely run by career people, because as you say, there were 4,000 of them and only 10 of us. And we, 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 we did discipline these people in various ways. Some of it included a few weeks with, of leave without pay. I mean, not, horrible stuff, but we wanted to send a message. Well, all of them then declared this was a violation of their First Amendment rights. Many of them sued the agency. Um, the contractors that actually did the video... Their First Amendment back. rights and their employees of the federal government. Their employees of the federal government. And not only that, you know, I mean, how could... Would a, would a journalist at CNN sue the president of CNN for talking to them about what they did on the air and and this isn't CNN, this is right, this is the government. And I wasn't telling them what to do. I simply asked that the law be upheld. The law, the VOA charter, and, and now federal law. And I didn't tell them what to report, I just said, don't violate the law. So 
they sued. They sued in court. They won. You know, the judge felt their First Amendment rights were being violated. And it's sort of shocking. And, and they had a lot of support from the Hill. People on the Hill complained, including Republicans. Republicans complained <laughs> that you were, you were taking action to... Yes. Well, that I was... I was they, they bought the idea that this was telling journalists what to report, even though it was not. Um, so it, it was just, it was one of well, the let many... Let me understand the charter, though. The, the journalists, I guess, are supposed to be neutral. Of course, we know that's not true. <laughs> neutral observers and reporters on events and not take a political position. This ad looks like it was actually produced by the Biden campaign. It certainly does. I mean, do, was it produced internally, or did yes. they just pick it up from... It was, uh, it was produced internally. But nevertheless, it could have been a Joe Biden it, it ad. It certainly could have. So clear, clear political point of view. How, do, how do, does VOA operate under the same journalistic standards as... Uh, as, as well, <laughs> that's hard to say, the New York Times. But, but, <laughs> but the difference really is, Bill, and this is important, is that the VOA unlike the New York Times, who can write whatever they want. They're a private organization protected by the First Amendment. The Voice of America, as you say, is part of a U.S. federal government. And it has, it is limited by law, by federal law in a different sort of way. And part of that is the federal, is the VOA charter. And, the, and, that, and, and it states that all reporting will be accurate, objective, comprehensive, will not tilt towards one party or another, will reflect the, the views of the American people broadly. And this is the law confirmed many times by Congress. So, you know, the, the New York Times can do any biased things it wants, or CNN as well. I mean, it would violate the ethics of journalism, but not the law. This well, violated the law. Didn't, 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 one of the problems that when this was set up in the 50s and 60s to combat communism, that Americans generally had a pretty favorable view of themselves and felt like we ought to be projecting the image of American democracy and freedom and constitutional government to the rest of the world as an example of, of how they could live and to show them really a, a beacon of freedom. And then what's happened, though, is I think we've got so many people on the left who don't like America don't like that America, and they see America as a fatally flawed place. Bringing back the New York Times, they, they think the 1619 Project is what That's America right. is, and everything started with slave, slaves arriving on the coast of Virginia in 1619. That's the image of America they want to project to the world. Indeed, that, and that is a very big problem. I mean, for these it, it, I'm just thinking about you as a, as a filmmaker, as a yes. programmer, as a, as a yes. promulgator of ideas. Which ideas are we going to be? Right. Uh, and so coverage. There was a, a piece, for instance, a five-part series, I think it was, about Black Lives Matter targeted to Africa, and it was very positive about the Black Lives Matter movement, and it was happy to portray America as a racist society. But you know, the, a I don't think that's true, and b how does that help? You know, how does that fulfill the the goal of of promoting American ideals abroad? I mean, it was an unbalanced portrait of BLM, let's put it that way. So, but but you're right, there's a problem. I mean, the the only thing Donald Trump or the White House ever told me, and this was before I came there, by way of what to do, was bring it back to its glory days. And he meant precisely what you say, Bill, which means <coughs> when it was fighting communism, when it was a beacon of liberty, when people like Václav Havel and Lech Walesa would, signal, would, 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 um, would point to the Voice of America and Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty as lights in the darkness. 
that is what we should be. That is our mission. And all I, and all I wanted to do was bring it back to that. That is its mission. That is the law. I had no intention of making it tilt towards Republicans. It simply shouldn't tilt. But they portrayed that differently, and the, and the attacks were endless. So I think having been, and the attacks were, were uh, on, on many fronts. This was just one of many similar issues, you know, both relating to bias and corruption inside the agency, things they had done wrong. Now, I some, some relating to security failures. I mentioned civil service protections. You really, when you come into an agency as a political appointee, you have almost no degrees of freedom about yeah. who you hire and fire. No, that's right. So I, I could not, there were seven or eight people involved in what was a major security problem inside the agency. And I set the, I, I again launched an internal investigation, including hiring an, and also hired an outside legal firm to find out who was responsible and even to get people to be fired because of security problems are nearly impossible and they have all been rehired back. So I, I want to return to sort of the bigger issue you brought up at the very beginning, Bill, what to do about the administrative state. You know, mm -hmm. I could do so little in this agency of 4,000. I mean, there were 10 of us and we're outnumbered. So what can, what can happen at the State Department, at the FBI, at the DOD? I mean, it, it, you know, you, you know I, I, am, I think it's a it's a Don't forget, the, ju don't forget the Justice Department. And justice, yeah. Justice, the justice may Department. be among the worst. It, uh, it may be. It's a tough competition. Um, <laughs> but, but the, you know, so, I, I, you know, having gone through this and having been unable to even affect the small change of bringing this agency back to its legal mandate, I become very skeptical of the ability to change the administrative state by the next president. I mean, as you say, they're a totally unelected branch. It's, it's, it's most of the bureaucracy. In my own bureaucracy, I'd have to say that, you know, well, of the agency of 4,000, a lot of the people may be at the bottom and, and the worker part of it, the technicians, the SAM people, the cameramen, they may have been split politically, but the middle and senior management was pretty uniformly both democratic and activist. So how to fix that going forward? I hear some solutions from friends of mine, you know, other conservatives that think this can be fixed. And I am skeptical of those solutions, having now been on the inside. And I think it's sort of worth going through them so we know what we're going to face next time. This is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Michael Pack. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to sit back and uh, with bated breath learn how we're going to fix the administrative state. Well, <laughs> I leave that to others. I just want people to understand the problem. Yeah. What are the various ways that people talked about? Because one of the points, I, one of the reasons, apart from the fact I think you're an extremely interesting filmmaker and human being, <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is that this, people talk about term limits, Congress, gee, we got to throw people out of Congress because uh, they've been there too long and they've developed the ways of the swamp. That, I think, is a prob problem that was 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, that's right. What's happened is it's metastasized so that the Congress has delegated almost all of their power to the administrative state. And so the real action is focusing on what's happening there. Well, well, that's right. It, it is often said... And I think everybody who cares about political change has got to focus on that fourth branch of government. That's right. That is right. I mean, the, the most of the laws that we experience day to day come from the 
the administrative state. You know, we EPA laws or other kind of regulations or IRS rules. I mean, they all come out of these administrative agencies, very little out of Congress. Because as you say, Congress has, I think unconstitutionally, delegated a lot of its legislative functions to these agencies. So because it's convenient for them, it's, they don't have to answer for the consequences of it. You know, they can just blame these agencies. And the judiciary hasn't reined them in. They, 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 they have um, adopted, they defer to the agencies in, in a couple of key Supreme Court cases. You know, Is that the Chevron uh, Chevron yeah. hour, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so they need to sort of roll that back. But, and the other one is the, the federal, you know, the, the executive branch itself has to sort of get these, these, are, these agencies are largely, are often not even respons responsive to the president, as is the case of my agency. So, but, but, the, but what Republicans always say is, we'll fix it at the next election. You know, that unlike Donald Trump, this next time, we'll hire people who are way better. There'll be more professional managers. They'll know more about managing. They'll know more about the government. And they'll just be, they'll be, um, they'll just have skill, a skill set better than the Trump choices. But I'm skeptical that there is such a group with such a skill set. I don't know what skill set it would have taken to create that change in my agency. There's no good management or great skill that can change a bureaucracy that is outnumbers you 401 and well, is dead set against you. Well, as somebody who's run a few things, uh, one of the tools you need in your kit yeah. is you need the ability to fire people. Yes, you need to fire people. <laughs> you need to be yeah. able to change people. Or they have to, and they have to believe you can. You have to have the, and so, yeah, the, the, the charge, the charge against Trump was he didn't, you know, he just run a small real estate boutique. He was a, um, you know, a entertainment guy, hotel guy, didn't understand how to run an organization. He should have come in <laughs> with a team of, yeah, of, right. of, of pros and they're going to make the trains that's run right. on time. That's right. You think structurally that's, not even, even if he had that, it but wouldn't have made I, much difference. I think it's, it's still worth trying to do better in, yeah. the, in these areas, yeah. but I don't think it would have turned the tide. I, I don't see how it could. I mean, if I, had, I was able to bring in 10 people to my agency, it was the end of the Trump administration, and it was, in fact, hard to attract talent. But even if I had the 10 most talented people in the world, it would, they'd be up against these people who had spent years preparing to block us and had the, on their side, the media, which was totally in their in their camp and, and the Hill and the courts and, and, and whistleblower organizations that are funded by the left. And they have all these institutions backing them and they have these vast Including numbers. Including the media. Especially, so, yeah. and especially yeah. the media. So I don't see how another 10 wiser, better, more talented, more competent people would have done that much better. What talented and competent people actually tend to do in reality in government is make what is in fact the reasonable compromise, which is to not fight, because you're better off as a government bureaucrat not making the fight. You know, it, it was a horrible eight months that I was there. It was, it was just you know, attacks in the media, attacks on the hill, attacks internally all the time, all day long. What people usually do is make peace with the bureaucracy, and they sort of say, well. You, my top lieutenants, you run 95% of bureaucracy, and I'll do a little project. That's sort of conservative. In my own case, I could have done, uh, we'll do a couple of documentaries on 
sort of issues of, you know, that I think are important. And then we'll go, okay, you do these 10 documentaries and we'll do these thousands of hours of programming <clears throat> daily. Let us run Hate America that's right. ads the, the rest that's of the right. time. And you, yeah. you do these little things. And, Head pets. And that's what people, people make that deal because then you get to hire in your little project a whole bunch of other conservatives who then say great things about you in the conservative media. And when you leave, you say, well, I did my best and I did this thing and people like it. And you get both, you don't get attacked by the liberal media, a nice thing. You don't get attacked on the Hill. People like you, you've made friends. It's the smart thing to do. So smart people end up doing the smart thing. And that is why Republicans, in spite of campaigning to eliminate departments, have never eliminated them, going all the way back to Ronald Reagan, who campaigned on eliminating the newly created education department and simply didn't do it, expanded it. So, and, and yeah, Bill Bennett, you know, who you, ran it, didn't do it. Yeah, and, you know, and he's a very smart, competent manager. We've eliminated no departments and we've eliminated no programs. Yeah, indeed. So why do we think we're going to do it again? Okay, so and, that... That, that isn't going to work. So what's, okay, I've heard another one about the FBI. Another alternative is, well, we just move it to Kansas and we get the, we get the bureaucrats out of Washington. Well, you know, that might be appealing, but it would be the same people. <laughs> They'll be happy to be in Kansas. But, you know, the, I, the other thing I hear a lot is, well, we're going to eliminate a huge number. Right away, we're going to eliminate 25, 30%. And that'll, make, that'll send a big message. But I don't even, first of all, it's not easy to eliminate 25% of anything. And if you, the normal way to do a reduction force in the government is to assign it to the senior managers to figure out who to eliminate. And they usually get rid of the good people and keep the bad people. So the, they same, keep their the, same, the same civil uh, senior managers you were, you were fighting yeah, with would right. be the ones that would tell you who to get rid of. How, how else can you do that? And then, and, and, and then, you know, the, but even 25%, the numbers are, would be huge to create the change. It's not just firing people. Would you be able to fire 25% of people and bring in 25% new people? No, you would just fire them. So even if you shrunk it, you wouldn't change the Did you have time to think about whether there's any sort of civil service reform that would have been possible? Uh, Let me, some context. Civil service rules came into place, what, after the administration of President Grant? Mm. And there That's was all, right, sorts, all sorts of cronyism That's purportedly right. and people getting jobs and paid off for this, that, or the other. Now, fast forward well over 100 years later, and we've got a new kind of cronyism. That's right. So we've got a corrupt system now. We had a corrupt system then. How do you fix today's corrupt I, system? I, I believe it does need a, another major reform. That's sort of not my area of expertise. Okay, but well, I think it, but, 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 yeah. I, but I do think this, and I, I ended my article with this. I don't think there will be this kind of reform if the American people don't demand it, as they did after other other after Teapot Dome and other scandals. Well, that's why we're talking about this now. Yeah, I want that's people right. to understand this is the problem. They have to demand it. Yeah. If, if they say, we want you to do this, and, they, and it was clear, and they, because I think because they are losing their democracy. They're losing their, the, the Republican form of government promised to them, and they should demand that it, got, it be returned to them. That's the only way it'll happen. Then there could be reform. If there were legal reforms, if Congress, the courts, and the federal government started to actually address this problem and treat it seriously, then it would happen. And, and I think the American people have to see that it's fundamental. And even if you're a Democrat, you have to still believe in this process. Now, it, it tilts towards what you believe in, but it's still not the, the 
form of government that you were promised in the Constitution. So I, I think the American people simply have to rise up and demand it. I mean, not rise up and well, you know, through the electoral process. Uh, do you know how unusual you are, you are as a former head of one of these agencies <laughs> to be as candid as you are being about it? I know. I've probably broken some rule here. That's you, right. Well, not my rule, but <laughs> you know, right. so many, as you mentioned, they get along to go along. That's right. And they, they want the that. next job in government. They do do that. I suspect you're not looking for your next job <laughs> in government. I, I hope not to walk through the door of another <laughs> government building ever. So, you know, so bringing in the super managers, we don't think that works. Just getting rid of people, you can't do that because of the way it'd be implemented. Civil service reform is one way to go, but you got to develop a, a political will to do That's that. That's right. You really do. And I, I, is it analogous at all to what's happening to the schools? Because if you look what That's happened with schools... The silver lining to the lockdown was kids were sent home. The parents looked over their shoulders as they were on their computers, and they said, oh, my goodness, what are you being taught? And then they came and started demanding changes. And I think parents are now waking up to it's not just school boards. It's the teachers, teachers' unions, the curriculum developers, the consultants, and all the people in that That's establishment. Right. It looks a lot like the, uh, the federal bureaucracy. Uh, I, I think it is a lot like that. It's, it's these experts that think they know what your children should learn, what, what's the truth about race in America, mm -hmm. all these things. I think it is definitely analogous to it. And, and as long as there's a movement to, if that kind of movement that re responding to CRT came along demanding that the government get back to its constitutional principles, then I think that would happen. I agree with you, Bill. It's very analogous. Well, you think, and I agree, that uh, we've got to focus more on the cultural issues if we're going to make any difference. It, indeed. I mean, that is my actual area of expertise. And in that area, I'm more optimistic, in fact. I think that, so my, as you say, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and in the area of nonfiction television, and maybe nonfiction television and small movies about politics and history, there's a, really a renaissance on the left. There's, a, there's more documentary programming on the air than ever before on Netflix, on Amazon, on, on Hulu, on HBO, on Showtime, and almost all of it, or virtually all of it, is, is on the left, or, or some is apolitical, but on the left, celebrating the 60s, celebrating, you know, whatever, the, you know, talking about race in America from the point of view of the left. And we need to, if we let one, the left tell the stories about America's past and present, they will dominate the culture as they have been doing. But that I believe that we could take back if we are willing to make the films and television and, and music and other things that uh, if we were willing to engage in the culture, unlike government, that's a relatively free market. I mean, we can participate in it and we on our side simply have not. Well, the, 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 the cultural, the media, the Hollywood, the uh, filmmaking, uh, world looks an awful lot low like the other worlds we've talked indeed. about. It, indeed. If you're, a, if indeed. you're a conservative kid and you want to make conservative documentaries or even even worse, you want to make a, a feature mm -hmm. film or a streaming yeah. streaming series on one of the one of the cable networks, you're not going to find it. Yeah, you're not. And, but, and the reason for that is that I believe is that, as you know, the left since the 1960s said they were going to engage in a long march for the institutions. They announced it. They talked about it. Herbert Marcuse and others picked up that call, and that is what they did. And they did it yeah. starting with the university, but now also including, as you say, Hollywood and the news media and, now, and the documentary world and all these areas. 
So over the last 50 plus years, they have poured in tens of billions of dollars a year into culture, to making the, the you know making cultural works. And we, on our side, have maybe poured in tens of millions. What so is, there's a gap of like is, 10 billion a year over 50 years. What does so, Netflix but, spend a year on film? It's very film hard to tell, but they spend a lot. It's a couple a billion, isn't it? Yes, I mean, PBS alone is 2.5 billion a year. PBS alone. But it's not just, so over this, these many decades, they not only have produced a lot of, I'd say, very high quality product, an interesting product, but they've also created, as you implied in your question, all these institutions that support that product, including streaming services like Netflix and Amazon, including funding services, including funding entities, and, and taking using things like you know, foundations like Ford and MacArthur, but also government, you know, NEH and CPB, and as well as private funding. And they, they have funding, they have distribution, they have every film school in America is on the left, you know, training the next generation of left-leaning filmmakers. So they have taken over and, and, and used all these institutions. So you're right, a young conservative documentary producer had, or, narrative or feature film director has few places to go. But, but, but that wasn't true before the 60s. We can replicate what they did. It won't be fast, but we can replicate it. And we can replicate it faster because we see what they've done. How did you work your way through the system? Because you've made some extraordinarily interesting nuanced films that are, that are quote, conservative. I mean, they're not red meat conservative, right. but they're, you, right. you had a very successful career, career working that infrastructure. How did you do it? Well, I mean, I began in the 70s with already a different era, and I had already I made these contacts inside public broadcasting that have always helped me. And in fact, they've been pretty good to me, and they were very enthusiastic about the Clarence Thomas film. But my films... And this is another failure on our side. Our, uh, when we do make a film, maybe because we have so few of them, they are often very strident propaganda, and they are telling people what to think. Are you they, describing Steve Bannon? Uh, well, he's a friend. I, I know we both him. like Steve Bannon, but, but, are, but nuance but, is not his middle name. No, it's not. <laughs> and, and another filmmaker I like, Dinesh D'Souza, he makes sure. these very strong films. And yeah. I, I think yeah. films that appeal to the base. There's a, a place for them. The left has them too, uh, Michael Moore. But, but I have tried to make films that don't do that, that appeal to the people in the center that want to know about things. And I, I think that's the way that we can be successful in culture, not by making, I mean, it, you know, not, not only by making these films that are, you know, pro, you know, advocacy, but by trying to make films that tell stories that aren't told. I mean, the Clarence Thomas film is a good example. I chose to tell that story, and I think I let him tell his story fairly. It's a brilliant film. But other people on the left had fairly recently, before we made that film, made a film about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They chose a different story. America benefits from having all these stories told, and now we only have half of them told. We can tell these stories, and you don't have to exaggerate the Clarence Thomas story to make it a compelling story. And there are many such stories, and we need to tell them. And Hollywood used to do that all the time. Hollywood itself was a, you know, told stories about America, and its view of America is part of what made the rest of the world want to be like America. Swinging back to where we started with VOA, or, or the rebranded name of it, uh, Agency for Global Media, is there a Chinaman's chance 
that's probably the wrong <laughs> problem. Actually, there is a Chinaman's chance. <laughs> Sorry. Is there any way to re reprogram that, that uh, organization? Because you think about the billion-dollar budget they've got and the opportunity to fund the kind of thing you're talking about. If we have a, a, a strong Republican president in 2024, is it worth another shot at that agency? I think we have to try. And although I would not want to run it again, I would try to help anybody who has the temerity to try. I think we have to try. Its mission is really important. We're in a battle of ideas, as you say, with China, but also Iran and Russia and North Korea. And we need to fight for our ideas. They are aggressively promoting their view of how the world should run. Well, without getting into in in specifics, generically, how would you create a new a, a conservative culture machine? In the, out, outside of you know the government, outside it, of the government. I well, one thing we are we are expanding. We are recently got a grant to expand our company and including a training yeah. program to train young filmmakers to make films that are you know fair and and not not strident, but that tell important stories that are missing. And so I think that training piece is important, and we're going to make films. But I actually believe, Bill, that the we need the America needs a competitor to Amazon and Netflix that is a broad-based entertainment streaming service. I mean, we have some streaming services that are pretty political that are that do well. You know, Fox Nation. Uh, um, uh, but it's you, all the, political, the, right. And it's very repetitive, it, it, and it's not very entertaining. It, it's not a compete. It's not, and it doesn't win hearts and minds. That's right. If you already, if you don't, if you right. don't buy it, you're not going to watch. That's it. right. So we need, and this is beyond my own capacity to do, but we need entrepreneurs to go out and, and launch a competitor, a broad-based entertainment competitor to Amazon and Netflix so, so that, as you say, young, young filmmakers, including the ones we're training, have a place for their product to go where, people, where the American people feel like they can turn for more patriotic, more traditional entertainment. And, and, and that would be sufficiently interesting that people who are not necessarily Trump supporters would go to look for programs. It seems to me like the, the cost of production, you know, I've been involved in a couple of feature film productions. The cost of productions drop way down when you consider what equipment costs and what we can do with handhelds and things like that. You don't really need the full accoutrement of a, of a Hollywood studio to make a pretty interesting film. So production costs... I think you can get probably raise money. For me, the big to me the biggest issue is distribution. It is the big issue, and and, and we can make a dent in that. I mean, I think we could launch. I think it's important to launch a competitive streaming service. But you know, the, the left has built. I'm always all, looking for lines of action. Maybe we should just do that. Maybe we should. <laughs> but 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 the left also has these distribution companies that are, where people are looking for for ways to maximize it. You know, when we were distributing Created Equal, I mean, we have a distributor that I, that did very well by us, but they are not particularly attuned to our mission. Whereas if we were making a, if we were, for instance, making an inconvenient truth, you know, about global warming, we would have plenty of places to go where people would want to help us distribute it and promote it and get it out in schools and would do that as part of their sort of not philanthropic mission and part of their, their, their larger goals. So they're, they're, we need to build many of these institutions. I think the biggest institution would be a broad-based entertainment streaming service. But there are other institutions that can be supported and built if 
there is any, if there's a sufficient interest on the right to do it, I, I think they cannot do it on the cheap. The left, to their credit, has put the time, energy, talent into it. As I say, they spend at least $10 billion a year on it. We spend nearly nothing. You know, I think we could do okay with one-tenth of everything, but not one-hundredth or one-thousandth of everything. They, they have a pool of people who've made, whatever, $10 billion in Silicon Valley that want to take one billion of those and try to help make the world better as they see it through film and television and are willing to want to make money, but are willing to lose it. We have not very few people like that. And we need, we need to get the people out there who understand, who see the world as we do, who have had the resources to sort of see this problem and try to use some of their resources to address it. Okay, I have, I think I've, I think I've figured out who should run this. <laughs> I think I'm looking at him. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I should run it, but I should, I would be happy to be part of providing the content. Okay, we had a, we had a follow up on that. Yeah, yeah, we got it. Um, we're out of time. Ah. Michael Pack. <laughs> it's always interesting talking with you. I've, it's, uh, we've got, we've, we've covered about 10% of what we thought we wanted to talk about, <laughs> but I think we've covered the right 10%. I think so, too. And my takeaway is that we, conservatives need to think a lot more about culture, filmed entertainment, and all sorts of a avenues. And spend so get get our large large donors to really focus some money there. That's right. I think that would be a great message to take away from this. Okay, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining. Uh, you've been viewing, watching, uh, listening to the Bill Walton Show. We're available on all the major podcast platforms and on YouTube and Rumble. And you can also subscribe to our show on uh, thebillwaltonshow.com. And we'd welcome your comments because they inform us with all the new things we do. And we're getting a lot of great ideas from you. And thank you. And thanks again, Michael Pack. And uh, we'll be back soon. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining. Mm -hmm.